You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast. Located in Asheville, North Carolina, The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Welcome to The Gathering Church. Today, we are so glad you are with us. My name is Robbie Denson. I'm one of the pastors here at The Gathering. Thank you for being with us today. So as you can tell, we've moved our services online. Uh, One of our main goals and our priorities during this time uh, is to provide you with safety, to care for you and We felt that the best decision for us was to move online through the month of January. We feel like we can put on a great service to reach you, and you've been so great at being engaged and involved. And so wherever you are, however you're watching today, we want to welcome you. Well, you know, here we are. And I wanted to say we made it to 2021, but, you know, let's just call it what it is. We've limped in to 2021. You know, I don't know if you were anything like me, but I I spent the last nine months of 2020 saying things like, I can't wait for this year to be over. You know, 2021 has to be so much better or there's no way next year is going to be like this year. And, you know, I, I think I can just speak for all of us when I say that last year really caught us by surprise. 2020 blindsided us. We weren't ready. We weren't prepared. And I remember when we as a church, as a staff, we made the decision mid-March to go online thinking, well, this will be a few days or maybe a few weeks at most. And we were wrong. And so here we are rolling into this year. You know, our goal is to help you be better equipped for whatever comes our way. Because as much as we've been waiting for 2020 to be over, the truth is, We don't really know what 2021 has in store for us, do we? Just this week, I found myself looking at the news, wondering what in the world is going on. I wish the impact of last year would come to a close with the turning of a page on our calendar. But unfortunately, life has never worked that way, has it? And so as we prepare for this year, the reality is we can't be certain of what's ahead, can we? Just this week, under the guise of, for some, Christianity, and for others, righteousness, or maybe it was nationalism, we saw people storming our Capitol building. And we're filming this on January 7th, so I'm sure there's more information that has come out. But as of today, I'm seeing there are four dead as a result of the rioting and and the siege that took place. And we're just days into this year, and the enemy is already on attack, pushing uncertainty into our hearts, pushing uncertainty into our minds. And as I look at all of the uncertainty, I have to ground myself. We just do. What am I certain of? As I was praying this week, God just put it on my heart. Robbie, you can be, you can be certain of two things this year for sure. One, one is certain with regardless of you. The, the, the second can be certain only if you make it. And the first is that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. I was reminded last year 
that God is still on his throne. And I want to talk about the specifics of how I was personally reminded, but I'm learning that as I get older, I cry way too easy. Like the more life I experience, I just want to cry all the time. And so I'm going to bring that up later because I got to get through this. But I've been reminded that God is still on his throne. Regardless of what is going on in and around us, God's purpose for our lives is still within reach. And the second thing I'm certain of, and this is because I'm making a decision. You've got to make the same decision. God has a purpose for my life, and I'm going to pursue God's purpose for my life. That's the second thing I'm certain of this year. Nothing is going to stop me from pursuing God's purpose for my life. I don't know what to expect over the the next few weeks and months, but I'm making a decision today. There's something powerful about making a decision today that prepares me for whatever tomorrow throws at me. So let's make a decision today to pursue God's plan for our life, regardless of what's to come. Because for many of us, 2020 derailed us from the hopes and the dreams we had for ourselves. I've talked to people over the last several weeks who say, man, I went into 2020 with hopes. I went into 2020 with dreams, and they've been, they've been taken from me. And not just have they been taken from me, but I've fallen back into some bondage. I've fallen back into some traps. They've got a grip on my life yet again. And so with that, we started a series last week called Do-Over. We may not know what 2021 has to offer, but we don't have to be blindsided this year. Some of us need a do-over, don't we? Last week, Pastor John Mark talked about a spiritual do-over. If you missed last week's message, go to our website, gatherashville.org. You can find our messages there. It was powerful. But this week, I want to talk about a relational do-over. You know, if if there's one thing I learned last year, it was that we need each other. We just do. I'm, I'm simple like that. I just, God, what are you teaching me? I need people. I need people. And in fact, it's not just my opinion. It's, it's all throughout Scripture. The Bible is filled with messages of loneliness. And, and when I say alone, I'm not talking about being in a room by yourself. You can be in a room full of people and still feel alone in your heart. In fact, Forbes put out a study a while ago, where they found that 40% of Americans feel as that they, they have no one close in their life. Four out of every 10 people feel as though, as though they are close to no one. 40%. That's a problem. And we don't want that to be the case for you. And so in a season of our lives where connection is harder to find, right, because of what's happening in our country with COVID and then the divisiveness, I think it's true that feeling a sense of community has never been more important than what it is right now. In fact, God reveals to us in the beginning of Genesis the importance of community. You know, we look at the book of Genesis And we see Adam and we see Eve and we see man's sin for the first time. But that wasn't the first problem in the Bible. The first problem in the Bible wasn't sin. It was solitude. 
The devil doesn't even show up till Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis chapter 2, we see God create a beautiful garden with beautiful vegetation and plants and trees. And he creates Adam to enjoy this creation. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God presses pause on his creation. And he says something. He notices something. Scripture tells us this. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so the very first thing that God addresses is not your sin, it's your solitude. We see it again in Ecclesiastes. Solomon calls this to our attention. If you don't know Solomon, he had everything. He had wealth, he had wisdom, he had position, he had people to serve on him hand and foot. And he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 18. He says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Here we have Solomon speaking of himself. He says, I thought I had it all because I had it all. But I undervalued what relationship really meant. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about five principles from Jesus's life. And we find these principles in one of the last conversations that Jesus would ever have. Jesus, he gathers his disciples together shortly before he was to be captured and crucified. He gathers them together for what we call the annual Passover meal. The Passover meal was celebrated every year to commemorate the people of Israel getting out of Egypt. And in John's gospel, he goes into a lot of detail about this particular dinner with Jesus. In fact, John gives us the entire conversation that night with Jesus' disciples. We see in John's gospel that night, it begins a lot like any other night, but there was something different taking place this night. At the time, it was customary that when you walk into the house where you're having the dinner in, that there would be someone positioned at the door whose job it was to, feed, to, to, to wash the feet of those coming in. And this wasn't really an attempt to keep the house clean. What we, what we were doing here is we were just saying, hey, welcome to my house or welcome to the party, right? It's just a way to say welcome. But this particular night, no one is stationed at the door. And so Jesus takes his outer garment off. He puts a towel around his waist. He grabs a basin of water, sits around the fire, and he just starts to wash his disciples' feet. And as you can imagine, it makes them feel incredibly uncomfortable. Think about it. Jesus had been living very closely with these men for the last three years. They had traveled together. They had been through thick and thin. And I know you can learn a lot about a person in three years. And here Jesus is on his knees washing their feet. And when Peter walks to the door, he sees what's happening. And the Bible tells us that, that Peter says, no, no, you, you shall never wash my feet. Peter had been through thick and thin with Jesus. They had grown so very close. And here we have Peter saying, no, Jesus, you can't go there. I don't want you to get into the nooks and the crannies of my life. Jesus, don't clean up my mess. And in many ways, this is a picture of what so many of our relationships with God looks like, doesn't it? Yes, I want to go to heaven, 
I love church. I love worshiping you, God, but there are parts that I really don't think you need to see. There are parts of my life that are a mess, that are unworthy of you. You see, Peter thought he was honoring Jesus by not allowing him to clean his feet. But what he was really doing was denying Jesus access to him. Listen to how Jesus responds. He says in John chapter 13, verse 8, he says, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, if you don't give me access to all of you, then you cannot have all of me. I wonder how many of us have a part of God, but not all of God. How many of us have experienced the joy of his salvation, but not the freedom that comes when we allow him to clean up our mess? And can I say something to you today? God gives us him for salvation, but I'm convinced he gives us each other for freedom. God uses his power to move in the context of relationship to move us out of bondage and into freedom. I want to break down what I'm talking about today. I want to move us through this conversation and show you how Jesus teaches us the significance of relationship. The first thing we see Jesus communicate is this. I need people who will care for me. I need people who will care for me. And when I say care, I'm talking about the days when you're hurting. The days when I'm not talking about the days when things are going well. I'm talking about the days when you're sick. Something came up and you're not able to make it on your own. Or better yet, I'm talking about when something's come across your life and you don't have the strength to take care of you, but you know someone who does. Look at what Jesus says in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to, the play, to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And, and a simple thinker, which many of the disciples were, would say, yeah, you washed our feet. It was weird. Thank you. But that's not the point Jesus was trying to make. He goes on to say, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, here's what I'm teaching you. He says, you also should wash one another's feet. What Jesus is saying is that you've got me, but now you need each other. You should care for others the way that I have cared for you. If we are going to be a church that makes a real difference in our city, if we are going to be a church that survives and thrives through a pandemic and through such unrest in our country, we need to be both caregivers and care receivers. You know, I want this to be a church where people aren't afraid to get down in the nooks and crannies of each other's lives. I want to see people rejoice together. But can I just be honest? If that's all I see, we got a problem. Because we don't have the luxury of always rejoicing, do we? I know I don't. So I want to see this church get into the messy of each other's lives. You know, our number one way to accomplish this, and we talk about it all the time, our number one way to, to help you find freedom is life groups. 
Our best way to minister to you is by joining a life group. And, and this is why I admire each and every one of our life group leaders as much as I do, because we make it known to them. By leading this group, what you're committing to doing is walking with people, walking in pain with people, walking in joy with people, walking with people wherever they are. And I know that we're in weird times and how do you do life groups in a season like this? The answer is we're figuring it out, but we have committed to making a way for you to be in relationship with one another. We are committed to helping you find a way to to not only care for others, but to be cared for yourself. The second thing we hear Jesus say about relationships is I need people who will encourage me. I need people who will. This is just kind of simple. We need people to care for us on our bad days. We do. But we also need people who can give us words of encouragement. We need that person who's willing to send us that text to just put us on the right track. Jesus does this for his disciples. They're aware of of, of something about to happen. They don't necessarily know that he'll be taken soon by Roman soldiers to be crucified, but they, they they get the sense that something's going on. And Jesus recognizes this. And he takes a moment in John chapter 14. He just says one simple thing. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's just that simple. Jesus saw their worry and he addressed it. The other day, my my wife, you know, we've gone back to school and it's all online and they've changed the schedule and we're, we're trying to figure it out, right? And my wife's at home and I've got three kids and three different classes on three different computers and it is overwhelming and my wife is a workhorse. She is a, she's a powerful woman, but it's overwhelming at times. And she was texting me, Robbie, I'm feeling discouraged. I feel like, like the waves just keep crashing on me. And I prayed with her and about an hour later, I get a text of a, of a, of a picture that she sent me where our neighbor had gone and gotten Chelsea a plant and put it in a vase and then wrote her a letter just encouraging her and letting her know how important she is. And I was at lunch with Mikey at the time, and when I got that picture, I was actually telling Mikey, man, Chelsea's stressed out, and this picture comes through. And I go, oh, you know what? She's fine. She's Because I know my wife. There is power in encouragement. It's easy to overlook the power of encouragement, but let me just tell you, there is power in the way you get behind others and cheer them on. Encouragement keeps life from getting the best of us. Sometimes that's all it takes is someone in your corner cheering you on to put you on path to pursue God's plan for your life. We need each other, don't we? Jesus, he he continues this conversation with his disciples. And the third thing we pull from this text is, I need people who will partner with me. I need people who will partner with me. We need care and we need encouragement But there will come a day where I also need people who will join arms with me and do something together that actually matters. So listen to how Jesus says it in John chapter 15. He says to his disciples at this dinner, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, 
You can do nothing. As you and I, we partner with Jesus and then we partner with one another. We make it possible to overcome and move through any challenges the enemy can throw at us. You know, the same Solomon who told us that we need each other, he he takes it a step further. He says in Ecclesiastes again in chapter four, he says, two are better than one because they have a good return to their work. In other words, two are better than one because it just makes sense. It just makes sense. This is, you could call it common sense, but it's really a spiritual principle. We need each other. Too many of us. And take time to just, is this, ask yourself, is this me? Too many of us are, are trying to overcome insurmountable odds on our own. The fourth thing that Jesus teaches us about relationship is I need people who will protect me. I need people who will protect me. You know, the truth is, you and I can only see so much. And what Jesus is saying is that you better have somebody who's watching your back. Somebody who's got your back. In John chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. That word astray in the Greek is where we get the word scandal from. And so so what Jesus is saying is, he says, my point in telling you everything that I'm telling you tonight is so that your life doesn't turn into a scandal. And we can only accomplish this if we stand together. I'm telling you, one of the values of relationship is that I allow people into my life who are willing to, to protect me. One of the values that I live by, and maybe if you've been in my life group, and I've preached this before as well, is that you're only as strong as you are honest. You're only as strong as you are honest. So in other words, I can only be protected as much as I am willing to be honest with those who are trying to protect me. And so what does that mean? That means I want the people who are willing to protect me to know who I am. I don't want them to know who I want them to know I am. I want them to know who I am. I want them to see how dirty my feet are so they know how much soap to use. I want to show them who I am. I want them to ask me the hard questions, and then I've got to be honest with them. I've got people in my life who ask me about my marriage. Hey, are you being a good husband? And you know what? The answer sometimes, if your answer is always yes, You're not being honest yet because there are times when I'm not. I want these people in my life. How's your marriage doing, Robbie? Ask me about my finances. Ask me about my search history. Ask me about my relationship with God. And then, you know what we should start asking each other after we ask all these questions? Did you lie to me about anything I just asked you? The only way you can be protected by those who are willing to protect you is to reveal to them where you're most vulnerable. And so if you're terrible with money, tell them. If you're hiding things on the internet, tell someone. If you're falling short as a spouse or a parent, tell someone. How can I protect you if I don't know where you're weak at? And you know, I think we get overwhelmed sometimes because I don't want to expose myself. You don't have to tell everyone your sins and your weaknesses and your shortcomings. 
But you better tell somebody. Because if you're the only one who knows your secrets, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And and so I I just want to make this point so clearly because I've been doing ministry for long enough to know that if you're not willing to get honest, then you're not willing to grow. You're willing to look better, but you're not willing to grow. And so none of what I'm talking about this morning matters if you're not willing to get honest with someone in your life. You're only as strong as you are honest. The last thing I want to reveal that we see Jesus teach in this conversation is I need people who will pray for me. I need people who will pray for me. Jesus is rounding out the night and he takes a few of his disciples to go on a walk with him and he's heading to the Garden of Gethsemane and he stops his disciples. He goes a little further and in this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was under an insurmountable amount of pressure. He's both God and man and he knows soon he'll be taken to the cross and because he's man, he's afraid. And scripture actually tells us that he was under so much pressure that he had what felt like blood dripping from his head. And in the garden, Jesus prays and he begins this prayer in John chapter 17, verse one. He says, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And and I wanna draw our attention to a few moments into his prayer. And I just, I love what Jesus says here. And in, in verse nine, he says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. That's like one of the least Jesus-y things I've ever heard. I wanna pray for them, but not them. Doesn't seem real Jesus-y, does it? Let's finish. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. He's talking about the disciples. I'm praying for the disciples. I'm not praying for the world. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. You see, here's what Jesus knows. If I lean in and I take care of these disciples, then they will take care of the world. I think Jesus was on to something. He knew that if he leaned into who and what God had put in front of him, that from that place, he could change the world. You know, I love your kids. They don't always make it into my prayers. You know who does? Makai, Josiah, Angel. That's what God has given me. And I tell them every single night, you're going to change the world someday. And if I can instill that belief in them, I am convinced that for generations we can see an impact. Can I just be honest? I want to know that I have people praying for me. And and what I mean is I want to know that someone's saying my name. I want to know that someone's, my name is it. I pray for the pastors. I pray, no, pray for Robbie. Pray for me, I need it. And that's not because I want to be the center of their attention, but because I want somebody to take me to the throne room. Me. They can bring other people with me, but take me. I want somebody to take me to the king of kings. I need somebody to. You need people in your life who are willing to pray for you. Here's the thing about relationships. We just need them. We just need them. You see, God sees our solitude as a problem and he wants to address it. He wants to address it. You know, 2020, God used one thing in 2020 to get 
my family through more than he used anything else. He used relationships. You know, COVID did a number on my family. I'm just, 2020 wasn't about COVID for my family. 20, COVID paled in comparison to what happened on January 2nd of 2020. I have permission from my oldest son, Angel, to share what 2020 was like for our family. On November 1st of 2019, we finalized the two-year adoption process with Angel. We met Angel on his 12th birthday at a restaurant where he ordered two lunches. I was not paying for his meals yet. And two years later or so, my wife will correct me, we were able to bring him into our home. He's got our last name. Man, and we were just, we weren't looking back, right? We just, he wasn't looking back. We weren't looking back. And then January 2nd of 2020 came. We had to have a conversation with Angel that was difficult. And, you know, Angel's one of my heroes. Because he's a warrior. Sometimes he went to war with me. But that kid is going to fight for his life. And he's had to do that more than you should. He just has, man. And here we are on January 2nd. Just saying, hey, man, I got to let you know, we got to make some changes. And, you know, he just didn't handle them well. And, you know, they tell you adopting a teenager is hard and they were right. But I want to just be honest. Angel will tell you that being adopted by a couple of 30 year old kids is hard, too. And he's right. (laughs) None of us have been perfect in this process. We've made mistakes as parents. He's made mistakes as a teenager. But let me just say this. In the eight months that followed January 2nd the enemy did everything he could to rip our family apart. I don't know, man. Just, I just, and maybe it's a purpose we have. Maybe it's a calling, but Angel was ours. That's our, that's my kid. That's my son. That's Chelsea's son. And trauma has a way of creeping back in. You know, we just can't move on from our past as easy as others sometimes. And that's just where Angel was at in his life. And I remember the day that We had to move him to a place where he could be safe and we could be safe so that he could process some things in his life and then we could process some things that had been taking place. And in that day, I just, I I remember we were in, we were in a panic and we just needed people because the younger boys were upstairs, we were downstairs, things were going. And we just called two of our friends, Paul and Heath, and we're crying, we're on the phone. We say, we need you guys. And it's like the, they were knocking on the door. And they just come over and they hung out with their older kids so that we could be downstairs with Angel just processing life. And there were days where Paul and Heath would come over and just take the boys so that we could just move through this journey and this battle with Angel. And I remember the, the next week, we had to go and drop Angel off somewhere where he wasn't gonna be with us anymore. And I didn't have the strength to do this on my own. I needed someone to care for me. I needed someone to partner with me. And I remember I was just thinking through who I could call. And I I called my buddy, Will. And I said, Will, I got to go do something that I hate. What do you need, man? I'll be there. 
I said, I need you to come with me to drop Angel off. And we get to this facility and we're dropping Angel off. And they say, hey, who are you? And Angel's like, I'm Angel. And who are you? I'm dad. And they look at this other guy and they're like, who are you? And I don't know if Will knows what this means to me, but he looked at them and I didn't know what to say. It, just, it was kind of weird that he was there. And he said, I'm the family's attorney. And he wasn't lying. <laughs> Will's a lawyer. And I looked at him and I just, I was like, oh, are you going to bill me for this? <laughs> and I just, he just came alongside me and he just said, I, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. With the night we dropped Angel off for what would be almost seven months apart from our family. We were broken, man. We were hurting. We didn't know what to do. We were exhausted. We needed sleep. Paul and Heath came back over to the house and you know what we did? We played rummy for two nights in a row. I didn't have nothing else. I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. And I wasn't strong enough. And you know what I learned that night? It's actually not that hard to care for people. I, I just needed to play rummy. A couple weeks later, I get a voicemail from Stephen Mary. Stephen and Cassie Mary lead our prayer team and they're prayer warriors. And Stephen is somewhat aware of what's going on in my life. And he, he leads me this voicemail and he says, hey, I just want you to know, man, I've been praying for your family and God has just been pressing on my heart. Angel, and I just want you to know, God has given me a word for Angel. And I said, Angel's gonna overcome this. Like whatever, I don't even know what it is, Robbie, but something's going on with Angel. And God's told me that he has a plan for Angel and that he's going to bring it to completion. And I checked that voicemail and I just looked at my wife and I just played it for her. And we're just in the car weeping because, it, man, sometimes it's dark and it's hard to see light, right? But I had people saying my name in prayer. I had people saying my kid's name in prayer coming into work. And John Mark's like, Robbie, what do you need? I just, I don't know what I need, man. I need space. Take the space. Do what you need to do for your family. The nights are Venmoing us money for date nights. And it, it's just like, what? We, I just felt so cared for. Eventually, Angel would go into a foster home so we could navigate some trauma before he came back home. And for four or five months, he lived with the Pittman family. We were looking for homes all around North Carolina to help Angel process his life. And we were looking at homes in Raleigh, homes in Charlotte, but God had a home 13 minutes from my house, the Pittman home. And he spent time in that home and we spent three nights a week in meetings and just talking and just working through life. In early August, Angel came back home. And let me just tell you, God moved in that kid's life, but my family wouldn't be a family that it is today if it wasn't because of the relationships that God has put in my life. Chelsea and I, we did everything to stay connected to the vine so that we could be healthy branches. But man, we just couldn't do it on our own. So the branches that were around us, they just came and they just cared for us and they loved on us. And that's all I'm just trying to communicate to you that God gives us him for salvation, but he gives us each other for freedom, for healing. Some of us need a do-over.
Some of us are alone and we're wrapped up in sin. We're wrapped up in shame and we're wrapped up in solitude. Jesus is looking at you and he's saying, that's no good. I've put people in your life. I have. Call them, text them, reach out to them, extend the lifeline, do what you need to do. I'm willing to do the hard work, but I need you to meet me somewhere. I need you to meet me at the beginning of a relationship. Would you pray with me this morning? We're talking about relationship today and we're kind of talking about those who are, those horizontal relationships around us. But maybe for you today, it's, it's not about that. I, I need a relationship with Jesus. I got to tell you, man, every single point of contact in 2020 where God moved, God was at the center. It was God that moved people towards my family. It was God that moved people towards relationship with me. So maybe today you need that. You need to, to get connected to the vine. So if that's you this morning, you know, if you're driving, if you're on your couch, wherever you are, if you want a relationship with Jesus, just pray this prayer with me. God, today I give you my heart. I recognize that I've been doing this alone. I recognize that you went to the, in that garden of Gethsemane, you were looking for a way out. And Jesus, you were saying, God, is there any other way to do this? Nevertheless, your will be done. Jesus, thank you for choosing me, for choosing the cross, for choosing pain, for choosing to take my sin into the grave so I don't have to bear the price of it. I choose you, Jesus. I choose a relationship with you. I don't have it all figured out. I'll work on that. But I'm coming to you today broken. I'm coming to you today and I'm taking my socks off and I'm saying, clean me. Jesus, I receive you into my heart. Amen. Amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a connect card online at gatherashville.org Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.